0: Please stand for the reading of God's Word. This morning I'm reading from 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve through 20. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God. That he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Well, before we dive into that passage, um, I want to just keep on your radar. We have a marriage event called Me and You in 2022. At the end of the month, it's been really exciting to see uh, so many people register for this if you don't know Angela and I uh, a few times a year we get to go and and speak for family life at these weekend to remember getaways and uh, and it's just been a real blessing to us to be able to process this stuff as we as we teach it and we wanted to bring some of this blessing back to Orlando Grace Church so that's what we're going to do and we're going to do it alongside some friends David and Meg Robbins are going to be speaking they lead family life uh, we will have Michael and Lucy Aitchison. They, of course, planted Christ United Fellowship Church. Many of you are familiar with Michael. And uh, then Michael and Rachel Blackston, who own the Redeemer Counseling Centers all around uh, the city, uh, they'll be joining us too. So I think it's going to be fun. It's $50, and that's a lot better than the $350 plus hotel that it normally costs for one of these things. Um, not that it'll be exactly the same, but uh, if you want to go, please do register. Uh, we'll have to close that before long. All right, Easter. If you go by a church calendar, and not everybody does, but if you do, this is the big day. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and anytime I come to one of these really big grand supernatural concepts that we come across in scripture, my fear is that it can be such a familiar topic that it loses its awe and its wonder. It just becomes kind of just another thing we talk about and it stays in our mind. And I don't want that to happen. I wanna remind you of how supernatural and even weird the resurrection can sound to people who don't understand it. Uh, I was, a few years ago, I was on a plane with one of my best friends and he was sitting next to this guy from Great Britain and my, my friend was kind of, he's a pastor and he was wanting to have a spiritual conversation with this guy so he basically just asked him, tell me some of the things you believe. And this British guy said, well, I, I don't know. I, I believe some pretty weird things, if I'm honest. And my friend said, well, that's great. I do too. How about you tell me your weird thing and I'll tell you my weird thing. And so this guy from Great Britain said, well, I believe that the moon is actually a space station inhabited by fourth dimensional reptilian creatures uh, who monitor earth and manipulate our thoughts. And I, I, I Googled it and that's like a real thing. I mean, it's not real, but it's a thing that people really believe. And my friend said, well, I appreciate you sharing that. I, here's my weird thing. I believe that there was a man who was also God, his name was Jesus. He lived a perfect life, never messed up at all, went to the cross, took on the wrath that we deserve from from God for our sins. He died later. He resurrected and all of us who believe in Jesus and follow him, we will resurrect too in a new body and we will live on a resurrected earth with Jesus forever, to which moon space station reptilian guy said, now that's weird. <laughs> and and I, 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 I appreciate that. I mean, the resurrection is supernatural. We can't let it lose the, the grandeur and the awe that it has on us, especially as we live in a society that is increasingly denying that resurrection. Whether people, you know, are claim to be a Christian or not, you know, people in mass in our culture would deny that there is this real bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even people connected to the church, which is exactly what's happening in our passage that Sweetie read earlier, people in the church, connected to the church, are denying that there is a physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Paul is writing them to say, to correct what it is that they're thinking. So we're basically going to walk through this passage and we're going to see the misunderstanding that the Corinthians were being taught about the resurrection. We'll see how Paul corrects it. And then lastly, hopefully we'll see at least one way that this should really matter and shape us. So what was the misunderstanding about the resurrection? Well, the misunderstanding was simple. They're saying the bodily resurrection of Jesus did not really happen. And before we go any further like I want to give grace to people who you know like that guy on a plane who have who struggle to believe the resurrection because resurrections you know we don't see them happen every day you know people outside of Lazarus people die and they stay dead that's what we observe to be true so it, it, it makes sense that people would living this life struggle to believe in something like a real bodily resurrection of Jesus or anybody else so I couldn't help but think about this and think this week, uh, I, I don't want to brag, I try to stay humble up here, or look humble, but uh, I had a really prestigious speaking gig, one of the most prestigious speaking engagements I've ever had, a few years ago, three years ago, to my daughter's kindergarten class. And I, they wanted me to come and speak on the fruit of the Spirit, so before, before the kindergarten class got out here, uh, I went out and there was a little tree and I tied bananas and apples to the tree. And I, 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 the class came in and I took them out and I said, guys, did you know you have a banana apple tree out here? And they, like, there was this pause, like, no, I, I but there are bananas and apples on the tree. Like I was trying to figure out. My, my point eventually was gonna be, the fruit's not connected to the source, so it's not real. But we're in this back and forth and, and kids are like, I don't think that's a banana apple tree. I've never heard of a banana apple tree. And we don't have banana trees or apple trees here. I just, I'm not thinking that's a banana apple tree. And I was like, well, why? And finally, some astute kid in the kindergarten class said, because that's just not the way that it happens. And he's right. And that was a right answer. And that's exactly how people come to the resurrection. Reasonably so. Like, it's just not the way that this thing happens. This is what was happening in Corinth. Likely, they were saying things like the resurrection is metaphorical in nature. You know, it symbolizes the resurrected life that we live now as Christians. But we're not to think that this resurrection is real. For Jesus or anybody else, you know, when we die, our souls go on, but our bodies, they stay here. They go back to the earth. And I think, I don't think it's hard to, I'm convinced I was going to qualify that. I'm convinced. This is the prevailing view of people in our, in our world. Most people, probably everybody I meet believes in some God or higher power. I, it's very rare that I, believe some, I meet somebody who doesn't. Um, most of these people pray, many of them to Jesus. But when it comes to a bodily resurrection, yeah, just, I, I'm not. Whether they believe in a God, Jesus, Christian, whatever, a lot of them will say that. that's kind of far. I'm not sure I would go there. And in fact, I was reading this week, uh, a study the BBC did in Great Britain, and they concluded that one quarter of professing Christians in Great Britain do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they asked one of the religious leaders, um, these are air quotes here, like, why is it that you don't, you say you're Christian, but you don't believe in a bodily resurrection? And she said, science but also intellectual and philosophical thought has just progressed. It has a trickle-down effect on just about everybody's lives. So to ask an adult to believe in the resurrection the way they did when they were at Sunday school simply won't do. And that's true of much of, much of the key elements of the Christian faith. And so I hear that and... They, There are some assumptions being made by this person and people who share the view that I can't help but kind of pull on a little bit. There's this assumption that back in Roman times, they didn't really understand how death worked. They they didn't understand. So they're just more likely to believe in in a resurrection. You know, those Romans who... They built the Colosseum and the Pantheon, technical feats we could not ourselves do for 1800 more years, mind you. The aqueduct systems and the sophisticated road systems, they just didn't know how death worked. Well, the Romans knew how death worked. And in fact, that's why Paul is having to address it. It's because in that culture, they were not prone to believing without help and guidance from the spirit and people who saw Jesus resurrected and all that, that we'll talk about, people just wouldn't give themselves to the idea of a resurrection. And I would say if any culture is going to be more prone to believe in a resurrection, it's the culture that makes every zombie movie that you could ever imagine and produces movies like The Sixth Sense and Ghost and Harry Potter and every Marvel movie where these superheroes keep dying and coming back to life. If there was ever a culture that was prone more than others to believe in a resurrection, it's ours. All right, so that's the first assumption. There's another assumption here that we call chronological snobbery. Newer is better. The newer thought, if, if the thought is newer, it's fundamentally better because we've advanced, we know better. Well, newer is not always better. Exhibit A, space station moon guy. That's a newer thought, doesn't make it better. But the other assumption is that this worldview is newer because what they're saying about the soul going on, and the body staying here, that's not a new idea. That's a return to a very ancient pagan idea. I mean, you can find this in lots of different pagan cultures. You can find it in, uh, in Gnosticism, in early Christian days, the belief that the body is bad, and, and the soul is good. And when, when you die, the soul kind of graduates onto a more joyful state, and your body, you leave it behind. So to say that that when we die our soul goes on or our energy returns to the earth or you know but, but our body it just it just kind of goes away that's not a newer idea that's an ancient pagan practice and i also want to say because paul's addressing it in his context but our context really needs to hear this just as much it shouldn't surprise us when you know, given the fact that we live in the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of a country, that's been proven, we're living in this shift. We shouldn't be surprised when people around us are increasingly denying the resurrection. It shouldn't surprise us. Parable of the weeds, Jesus said this was going to happen. Uh, but it shouldn't surprise us as our culture changes that people, it's not beneficial for them to just claim the resurrection anymore. There was a day in my lifetime in many of your lifetimes when holding on to Christian Orthodox teaching, specifically the resurrection and everything that comes with it, that benefited your business. That If you wanted to run for office, that benefited you. If you wanted to be seen, have a certain social status, you, you probably wanted to affirm the resurrection. Well, that's not true anymore. I mean, increasingly to hold these kinds of views, we are, it, it negatively affects your business. It negatively affects the, if you wanna run for office, the campaign. It's going to have to get around some things. You know, it negatively affects your social status because you're seen as archaic and maybe even bigoted. And so it shouldn't surprise us as our culture changes that people are changing with it. And we should feel the freedom to acknowledge that it's easier to let go of the resurrection. That's an easier way to live our life. Because if you let go of the resurrection, then you don't have to hold on to all that the Bible says about human flourishing. You can decide the way you want to live. You can do what you want to do. It's easier not to believe in the resurrection. And that is what we see happening all over our culture. And that's why it makes this word that Paul's saying to the Corinthians so important to us today. All right, so that's the misunderstanding. How then does Paul correct it? So Paul, it's interesting. He doesn't shame these people. He's not guilting them. He simply takes their denial of the resurrection to its logical conclusions. That's, that's all he's doing. And conclusion one, he starts right off the bat, is if you deny the resurrection, you lose Christianity. That, that's the first one. His, his argument is basically, if dead men can't rise, then Jesus didn't rise. And if Jesus didn't rise, the Christian faith is empty. You know, he just, that's the conclusion. Like, you're, you're still in church calling yourself Christians, But without the resurrection, there's nothing really here. This is Paul's first argument. Without the Christian faith, without the resurrection, there is no Christian faith. And so just to give you a little background. So what the Bible says about the resurrection is that Jesus came and he lived a life that we never could. He went to the cross to take on the wrath of God that we deserve. He then died and was put in a tomb and everybody knew that he said he was going to come back in three days. So the Romans guarded that tomb so that the disciples couldn't come in to steal the body and make some crazy claim that Jesus had resurrected. Well, three days later, his body's gone. And then the resurrected Jesus began appearing to literally hundreds of people teaching them about the resurrection, showing his resurrected body that looked like Jesus. I mean, you could tell it was Jesus, but he could appear and disappear. He could walk through walls. He could levitate, you know, at the ascension. He rose up off the ground. And he's teaching them about the resurrection, saying, if you believe in me and follow me, this will be true of you also. And this is exactly what Paul's getting at in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, first fruits is not you know, in our urban or suburban society. first fruits isn't something that we're all very familiar with, but it's a it's an aggr- it's an agrarian idea that when you have a vineyard, say of grapes and olives, the first fruits to bloom or fruit or whatever the word is for that i'm a suburban person but i I understand that the first ones to pop up are really important because whatever is true of those that fruit is true of the whole rest of the harvest so if the If the grapes are small and sour, that's not good. That's what the harvest is going to be like. If the olives are large and tasty, that's good. That's what the rest of the harvest is going to be like. And the same thing is true with Jesus. What's true of Jesus is going to be true of all those in his vineyard. And he's showing these people what will be true. So the hope of an eternal resurrected body living forever in a new resurrected earth, this is central to the Christian faith. This is core to what we believe. Christianity falls apart without of it. And this is exactly why Paul's saying, if Jesus did not resurrect, neither will we, and our faith is in vain, and we should be pitied among all men. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps pulling on the string, and the second logical implication that he makes is a little personal. He says, if Jesus did not resurrect, you are saying I'm a liar. You're calling me a liar. I mean, there are two things, either Jesus resurrected or you're calling me a liar. I mean, this is what he's, in verse 16, this is what he's getting at. If there's no resurrection, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. So we're not just liars, we're lying on behalf of God. And this is a big deal to Paul, which is interesting because we do see here by, by this very argument that Paul is, Paul clearly believes in a literal body, bodily resurrection of Jesus. Like he, he's saying, if you're saying this didn't happen, then I'm a liar. And, and you really can't get around the fact that Paul believes in a literal resurrection unless you do one of two things. First, you can say, well, Paul was just mistaken. He had bad information. And I guess maybe you could, you know, make that accusation of me. You know, I, I, I do not personally know people who have seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so you, you could say, well, m- Jim, maybe you have bad information. Now, I would argue that a lot of other ways. But if we're just going to use this argument, you can't do that against Paul. Because in verse 6, Paul is saying, I'm not mistaken. I didn't hear some bad information. I personally witnessed this along with hundreds of other people. This is verse 6. He, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all his disciples, last of all, to one, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul's saying, go ask anybody. Hundreds of people, they're still alive. You can go and verify what it is that I'm saying. And even here, there's... There's an assumption, a false assumption about how the early church developed. There's this assumption that there are these, you know, backwoods, archaic, really remote people. And these letters of Paul went out and the Gospels and thousands of people just believed because of these letters. And not only did they believe, they gave their lives to this teaching, committed their lives to this Jesus. And many of them gave their lives up for it just because these letters showed up. Well, guys, we're talking about a small geographic area here. I mean, and and again, think about the sophisticated travel and and road systems. It would have taken almost, pretty much most of the people Paul's writing to would have taken them about two days to go and confirm. I don't think that the churches all, you know, all these churches started because these letters circulated. I think they went. They sent representatives. They went themselves. These witnesses went out. They were all interacting. And people by the hundreds were saying, we saw him. We saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I changed my entire life. I was persecuting Christians. Then I saw him. And all of these people, the disciples, gave their lives for what they saw. I think it's really hard to say Paul is mistaken. The other thing that you can do if you're trying to get around uh, a literal resurrection, a bodily resurrection of Jesus, is just say, well, the Bible's not reliable. You know, it was created so long after these events that sure, someone could write, go ask all these people. But by that time, there were no people to go and affirm, you know, what it was that, that they're teaching. But the problem is that the historical evidence overwhelming, these letters were circulating within 20, 30, 40 years, all of the events all around the Roman Empire, they were circulating. We have non-Christian evidences from like Josephus that confirms that this was going on, confirms they believed in a bodily resurrection. We have uh, one, of the, one of the martyrs that has just stayed in, in my mind and my heart for so many years, Polycarp was in his 80s. He was, he was a disciple of John. He was a disciple of the apostle John and brought to a Roman forum to recant his faith and he didn't, he was burned at the stake. And so the Romans were writing about these accounts. Like, it's, it's just hard to make an argument that the Bible developed later on and that the early church didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. We have so much non-Christian historical material that supports what we're reading here today. And this is the reason why the New Testament, in scholarly circles, both Christian and non, the New Testament is universally regarded as the most accurate and reliable document from antiquity. I have never heard anyone argue for a more reliable document from antiquity ever. All right. So Paul, either this is real or I'm a liar. Then third, he draws out another logical implication. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So that's his third implication. If you're saying he didn't bodily resurrect, you are still in your sins. So. He's saying that, that if Jesus didn't resurrect, then your sins have not been paid for, and so you still have to give an account for the sins in your life. That's, that's a logical conclusion of denying the bodily resurrection. And you know this is gonna land differently on different people, but the prevailing view in our culture, I mean, I have lots of friends, sweet people who are not Christians, and I'm, I really am interested to know what they believe overwhelmingly, the, the most common thing I hear outside the church is, I just live a good life and God's going to let me in. Or if I, I do more good than bad, I just have to believe that God is going to let me in. It's something akin to how uh, my kid's school works. In from seventh grade and up, they have a merit-demerit system. So if you if you go overboard in uh in above and beyond what's expected of you you get a merit if you do not live up to the the expected character at the school you get a demerit and as a parent I'll be honest it's a little frustrating because the subject is always the same in the email it's behavior notice <laughs> what's it going to be this time is it happy or have a hard conversation but so these these demerits if you get enough of them There are negative consequences, but these merits have offsetting benefits. And that's basically how I think most of our culture looks at God. They they think that if I can get more merits than demerits, it's going to go well for me. And there are a number of logical problems here, but the biggest one is how we measure good. Like, I, mean, I don't even know where to start. Like, how, how, do I, how do I track that many things over so long? And, and then, you know, I, I know that when I do something that probably isn't good, well, I justify it, you know? I, I justify that negative action because I, I knew the tight spot I was in, or I, I knew this, I give myself grace. And, you know, so that kind of skews the good and bad because we're not really objective and we're, we're sure God is going to look at our wrongdoing the same way. He's gonna understand the, the reason that we did these things. But what Paul's getting at here, and he says super clear to the book, to the church in Romans, is that the standard, the measure for good is perfection. Like perfect, never mess up, because that is who God is. God is perfect and holy and just. And so, if at any time in our life, once ever, we live, we think or act in a way that declares that God is not king over us in every part of this world, then we have rebelled against him, and that is the sin that Paul is saying we are still in. So a problem, it's like a heart problem. I mean, it's a heart problem and, and it's manifested through actions. The problem's on our actions. It's what causes us to do those actions. Kind of like with a, d- a disease is manifested through symptoms. The disease is sin and the symptoms are our actions that declare God is not king over every part of our world. John Piper probably has the best definition of sin that I have ever read. He says, sin is when the glory of God is not honored, the holiness of God not revered, not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the promises of God not believed. The commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, and the person of God not loved. If this is the definition of sin, who among us can have peace with God without some sort of reconciliation from his, of his doing? You know, who among us does not in one morning break every single one of these, fail in every single one of these categories? And you know, we who cry out for all these injustices in the world to be fixed daily create the greatest injustice that we could possibly commit by declaring these things to be false about our creator, who we were made for and by. Michael Bloomberg, the old mayor of New York, he was interviewed, I guess it was a couple years after he finished being mayor, and they were talking about his contributions to New York City and things that he had done, like he'd been an activist in uh, anti-obesity efforts and um, gun control, anti-smoking campaigns, and they, they wanted him to kind of evaluate, how is it that you think you did as governor? What, how should we think of you now? And he said, and I quote, I'm telling you, if there's a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm headed straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. I mean, if that's not the merit demerit system, I don't know what it is. He's not acknowledging, he's not saying he's flawless. Nobody really, hardly anybody says they're flawless, but what he's saying is I have enough merit to offset what it is in whatever way I'm flawed, which is the total opposite of the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview says there's nothing that we can do to offset our sin. You just do, fail in any of those areas one time, you will stand before God for your sin. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to live the life that we couldn't so that he could take on the wrath of God in our place and hand us his righteousness. But that is not complete until he dies and beats death and comes back resurrected, declaring the power of everything that he has already done. So the Christian life, it isn't about merit and demerit, it's about Jesus giving you everything that he merited because we could never merit it ourselves. Then so circling back to Paul's argument, if there's no resurrection, then there is no justice for our sin because Jesus has not taken that justice on and if we deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're denying our sin and the forgiveness offered to us in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, Paul has one more very brief implication. If Jesus did not resurrect, then there's no hope for those who have already died. Like all your loved ones that are gone, if, if this isn't true, there is no hope for them. So these are the implications that Paul is drawing out if you deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, I hope it seems as relevant and urgent and essential now this teaching is as, as it was to the original Corinthian audience, and, and there are lots of ways that I could take this. But I want to just show you one way that this should matter, one way that this should shape us. To use Paul's words, death no longer has no death no longer has its sting. We sing this today. Death no longer has its sting. Death is now gain for us. We die as Christians, and that is a net gain, a big net gain for all of us. So we have real problems. We have real problems in this world. I know some of you very well and you have real problems in your life, but none of our problems comes close to our biggest problem that is our imminent and sure death and that we will stand in front of our creator with our lives for all of eternity. The implications are eternal. So, I mean, I was thinking about that day and what it would be like and I was just thinking about my life now and how time seems to be it's like running down a hill it just gets faster and faster and faster and now i have a teenager and i feel like i have these three kids in the house and this other man which is interesting and and i I think back to jim with with like three little ones you know all in diapers because we had them way too close together and i think about all the things that i worried about and i did i worried about things with these kids and growing up and being okay and healthy and all these things that they were outside of my control. I worried about them. And, and I wish I could go back to 30-year-old Jim Davis and say, hey, I've been 12 years in the future, okay? And it's good. Like, God has been good to you. The Seminoles are terrible, and the world's a hot mess, but God, God has given you everything that you need. Don't worry about these things. Trust him. And I think about that, and I think about all the new things I worry about now. You know, kids are still growing up. How am I going to pay for college? Who are they going to marry? Am I going to have grandkids? I mean, all all these other things that I I worry about now. And I wish 85-year-old Jim could come back to me and say, Jim, I'm 85. I've seen about all your life that there's going to be. And I want to tell you, you don't have to worry. I've been there and God has been good to you in every possible way. Don't worry about those things. He's going to take care of you. It's not all going to be easy, but he's going to take care of you. And in the resurrection, Jesus is literally coming back to us and saying, I've been there. I've been on the other side of death and I've literally come back. And because I have, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry anymore. I have spared you death and the wrath that comes to you at the end of life. I've been there. Just follow me. And you you have your financial woes, but those will be fully fixed. You have your health issues, but you will be fully healed forever. You have your relational strife, but it will be repaired and you won't even think of those things anymore. Your sadness, your fears, your anxieties, your depressions, all of those things will be fixed and permanently out of your life. Just trust me. Follow me. I've been there on the other side. I know what's waiting for you. All you have to do is trust me and follow me. That is what Jesus is telling us in the resurrection. And when we talk about the resurrection, okay, I'm, I'm the guiltiest of anybody here. When I talk about the resurrection, I tend to think of like the crazy orange theory body that I'll have that'll be ripped and six pack, eight pack, 10 pack, whatever, you know, be able to fly and do all these things. And I even, I, I think about my, our minds. Like my mind will just be so clear. They, you know, they say we only use 10% of our minds. Maybe I'll use 100% and I can just think about anything, know everything. And those things are great. I don't have to worry about cancer, Alzheimer's or anything like that. But we tend to forget that all of us is resurrected and most importantly, our hearts Our hearts are resurrected and they will no longer desire any kind of sin. Our hearts will only be fully satisfied in full relationship with our God forever. You know, I I remember John Piper, somebody said, you know, something like, you're no spring chicken anymore. What do you, you know, you're getting closer to death. What do you think about it? And he immediately closed his eyes and he said, sinlessness. I can almost taste it. All of us is resurrected if we believe in Jesus Christ. But for this to be true of you, you have to put your faith in Jesus, you have to believe in these things. And, and you're gonna have doubts along the way, and Thomas had doubts, people have doubts, but bring your doubts to Jesus, say, all oh, right, I, I want these things to be true. God, would you show me, would you open my, my mind and, and my heart? Would you make these things true for me? Because we can either live as if this world has functionally always been the same, or we can live as if Jesus came into this world forever changing the eternity of everyone who would follow him. And earlier I said, No, I have not met anybody personally who saw the Lord, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, but I know Jesus Christ. I know him and some of you know him and can testify that he is real and living inside of us. And we're going to be prone to our own fears and doubts and anxieties and the resurrection speaks to those things, gives us comfort in those things. And if you've never put your hope in Jesus Christ this is the day that you can ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior because that's what he's proclaiming in the boldest, clearest, possible way in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. God, we we love you and we thank you and we pray that this truth of your resurrection, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would would change us and would mold us. God, we pray that we would not, that we would understand this resurrection, a resurrection that isn't just a resuscitation like Lazarus who brought back to life but only to die again. I pray that our hope wouldn't be in extending our lives or the quality of our lives because we know that we will die. We pray that our hope would not be in a resuscitation but in a resurrection, an eternal resurrection for all of us who give our lives to you through Jesus Christ, receive forgiveness of our sins and walk with you for the rest of our days. May this be sure hope, as sure as the sun will rise again tomorrow. May this hope be sure in our souls. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.